So again, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of going through this, uh, these Hints and Traces series, uh, and we're going to continue that today in Genesis chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me there, starting in verse 1 today, the Word of God reads this way. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. We'll stop there for just a quick bit and uh, look at what this is, these few verses are telling us. So if you're anything like me, though, you've been in a situation where there's been a language barrier, where you're trying to communicate with someone and you ha they have no clue what you're trying to say or they're trying to communicate with you and you have no clue what they're trying to say. And it can be frustrating. Uh, for me, this happens all the time. I also work in a restaurant and this happens all the time in this restaurant. Uh, most of our chefs speak different languages, uh, whether it's Mandarin, Vietnamese, or even Spanish. And a lot of times, while they can pick up words here and there, they know a few English words themselves. And anytime we have to communicate something outside of the normal, they were totally lost, or if they would try to communicate to me, I'd be totally lost. And eventually we would sometimes resort to like Google Translate or something of this uh, of the sort, and sometimes it helped, and sometimes it really didn't. I get frustrated in these instances, and I catch myself thinking, if only we could all speak one language, it would make all this so much easier. And we actually see that these people actually had that for them. Before this happened, they all spoke one language, one dialect, uh, and they continued together until they get to the point of Shinar as they arrive and, they, and when they get here, they seek, they desire four different things. The first being a city. They wanted to build a city. They wanted to settle here in Shinar and begin businesses and trade and all the things that a city brings. And we actually see that a city represents security. So despite all the offerings a city brings, what is brought most is security. They were trusting in themselves and their own city for their security as opposed to God's. They were leaning on themselves and their own work for security instead of trusting that God would provide for them. The second thing that they desired was a tower. They wanted to be seen. They wanted people to recognize the Tower of Babel the second they saw it. By their own efforts, they were trying to reach the same level as God, if not even higher. In verse 4, it says, uh, they came together and they said, let us build for ourselves a tower with its tops in the heavens. They were trying to do their own work, counting on their own accomplishments to reach God. And that's what a tower actually represents, is their accomplishments. It was by their own work that they were seeking to find approval, uh, whatever it was that they could accomplish to get to God. And the next thing that we see that they desired was a name. They desired a name for themselves. They wanted God and every other nation that is to come to know who they are, right? They wanted to be known. They wanted to be significant, but rather they looked to themselves for their meaning and significance as opposed to the one who gives them significance, which is our Heavenly Father, right? So they desired a name which represents their significance for themselves, the last thing that they desired, at least that we see here in Scripture, is that they wanted to stay together. Uh, 
after all, right? There, there's strength in numbers, right? So we need to stay together, right? Uh, but they didn't want to spread out into the whole earth, but rather stay in one place. Uh, and this actually represents community, the desire to find community outside of God. They look to the people of the city, their own selves, to bring the community, to bring this sense of belonging, as opposed to looking to God for this community. And we actually see that them staying together uh, is a direct disobedience to what God has given them. They didn't have the books of the law like we do or the Israelites later had, but they did still have the word of God. We see in Genesis chapter 1, while God is creating the earth, uh, after creating man, he says this in verse 28. He says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. This is God's command to his people to fill the earth. In fact, like I said, this was before the fall of man. This is what God commanded before sin entered humanity. This is God's original design. Uh, But we even see this once again after sin enters the world. Years later, after the fall of man, after, as we spoke last week with Cain and Abel, after all this, years later, God sends a flood to destroy the earth, saving Noah and his family. And as they exit this ark, uh, he says to Noah and his family in Genesis 9, verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So we see the same exact command once again. And actually, if we look at it, there's really three commands in this. The first one, to be fruitful. Second, to multiply. And third, to fill the earth. And if you actually look at the people of Shinar, the people of Babel, however we want to refer to them as, they actually get two-thirds there, right? They were very fruitful. They multiplied, but they didn't fill the earth like God had commanded, which shows that They fell short of the command. And this brings us to our first point this morning, if you're taking notes. It says, God's will has always been, since creation, to fill the whole earth with his glory. God's will has always been, since creation, to fill the whole earth with his glory. We see this all throughout scripture. God's design for his people has been to spread out. We see this at creation, after the flood, and all throughout scripture. Look with me through these few verses real fast. In Habakkuk 2.14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then again in Numbers 14, verse 21, it says, But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So we see just in these two verses that God's will will be done. His glory will be throughout all the earth. And we even see Jesus' life echo this in his ministry. We see Jesus including all different nationalities, the outcast, everybody. Then even at the end of his earthly ministry, when he's speaking to his disciples right before ascending to heaven, he gives this great commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, through 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. 
So we see just how important it is for God to fill the whole earth with his glory and praise. Again, we see this at creation, the flood, all throughout scripture and in Jesus' life. We're able to see, once again, even in these few four verses of Genesis, these hints and traces of Jesus here in this passage. But let's continue reading in Genesis as we continue to look for Christ in our passage this morning. Picking up in verse 5, it says, And the Lord came down to see the tower, or the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are all one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. If you're anything like me, you may notice in verse 5 that it says, you know, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that man has built. If you notice this, and if you're like me, this sticks out because you're like, why would a God who we say is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent have to leave heaven and come down to see this tower that man has made? And what I believe, and through reading what scholars say, it's not that God didn't know what was happening here on earth with this tower, but actually God coming down to see the tower illustrates just how minimal, minuscule this great tower actually was. Meaning while man thought that this was an amazing tower reaching into the heavens, giving themselves a name, a meaning, significance, it was worthless compared to God. No comparison to God at all. His glory, his power, or anything of the sort. Again, this shows the futility of man's work and how it compares to God. This is true for the people of Babel, but also for you and I today. This tower represents the righteousness of man. While man thinks this tower, their righteousness, is this amazing infrastructure, it's nothing compared to God. Isaiah says that our righteousness is as good as filthy rags. This means we bring nothing to the table. And compared to God, we are nothing. And our righteousness and our good works are nothing. Which is why in verse 5, God came down. God coming down to see the tower was written in order to point us to a later time that God comes down. Again, we see these hints and traces of Jesus Christ. See, in a way to prove our own worthiness, man builds this tower that no way matches the expectation to which God is, that God is and has set. So God came down to man, revealing the work that they have done to be done in vain, and then he sends them on his mission. We see the same exact thing in the life of Christ, where the people of Babel represent ourselves, working to achieve greatness, glory, power, and God's pleasure. Much like the Pharisees in Jesus' earthly ministry, however, God came down in the form of man in order to reveal to us the futility of our work and our unworthiness. Then, by his work, he indwells us with the Holy Spirit, and he sends us out on his mission to fill the whole earth. You see, Paul even echoes this later in his life. Paul was a man dedicated uh, 
to the works of the law. Uh, he, he was passionate. He was passionate to fulfill the law. In Philippians 3, verses 3 through 8, he says this. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So you see here in Philippians, Paul lists all of his goals and accomplishments before Christ. He comes from a great family line. He followed the law to a T. When he messed up with the law, he went through the proper procedures that were written to atone for it, to make up for it. He knew the scriptures. He had them memorized. He did everything you could imagine to be blameless before God. But he says in verses 7 and 8 that he counts them as loss. He even goes on to say... He counts them as rubbish in comparison. And if we look at these things that Paul lists, not any of them are bad things. We should know the scriptures. We should follow the law, right? We should be active in our faith and with our faith family. But Paul says these good things when compared to Christ are rubbish. Rubbish simply meaning useless, trash, meaningless. Some of your translations may even say dung. Uh, Paul considers these things dung in comparison to Christ, yet so many of us hold on to these as if they were gold, which brings us to our second point this morning. When compared to the treasure of Christ, we begin to see the insignificance of what we once considered our treasure. When compared to the treasure of Christ, we begin to see the insignificance of what we once considered our treasure. So years ago, me and some friends from work, we met about once a week or so to go through Bible study, read the scripture together, and just talk through life together, right? And we decided that we would invite one of our coworkers, actually our boss, who was born and raised in China. And because of this, uh, through his parents, through the culture around him and his upbringing, in his life, there was a strong presence of Buddhism and Hinduism. And despite all that, he decided to still join us for these meetings. He came for several weeks, several months actually, investing into the Word of God with us. And at that time, I didn't know much about Buddhism or Hinduism. But as I learned just from uh, meeting with him, talking with him, and just learning about these religions, uh, I did notice something common for the people of these religions. See, for them, it was all about whatever you could do to make sure you were secure in the afterlife, right? And so this would be shown mostly through the accepting of most, if not all, gods and religions. That way you just add it to your list to make sure you've got the right one on your resume. So when he would come, he'd see he was very accepting of the idea of God and Christianity because in his mind it was, oh, let me just add this to my list so that I'm safe. 
And I'll never forget one day he looked at us and he said something I'll always remember. He said, I love God and Buddha. My first reaction is like, that's not how this works. That's not how Christianity works, right? Christ even says you can't serve two masters because you'll love one and hate the other, right? And I began to realize, though, how prevalent this is even in American culture and even those who claim to know Christ. While we may not say that we love God and Buddha, our lives, or that we love God and something else, our lives indicate that we actually do and we place these gods on par, if not greater, than God the Father. For the people of Babel, it was their tower, their reputation, their significance. For Paul, it was all the good things he could do following the law. For us, it could be a number of things. It could be how good we are, our job, our spouse, our family, friends, reputation. The list goes on and on. And while these things are good, maybe good things to have and some even desirable things to have, compared to Christ, Paul says they're worthless. Paul held on to these accomplishments, assuming that they would be good enough to find God's favor. However, Paul later considers these things rubbish because he understood the value in Christ and his work. Paul was willing to forfeit every single one of these things if it meant he could gain Christ. David Platt, a well-known pastor and author, says it this way, In Christ, we have found something worth losing everything for. This is to say that if Paul were stripped of everything he listed, he would still be joyful if, he meant, if it meant he could keep Christ. If the Buddhists were stripped of Buddha, he still finds joy in Christ. If we were stripped of our job, wealth, family, reputation, whatever it is, Christ is still worth it. Of course, this doesn't mean we can't enjoy the good things of life that God gives us. God gives us some amazing things like our families a good job, a faith family, right? But in comparison to Christ, it doesn't even measure up. Another reason I love this passage in Genesis so much is that it just reveals the glory and power of God throughout all of time. Think about how much harder it may seem for us just to communicate with the world through these different languages and dialects today. Yet if you look around the world you will notice that even if it's a small amount, there is a presence of Christ followers throughout the entire world. How awesome is it that we serve a God who uses people to share his gospel, and he is still praised through all the different languages and dialects that we see in our world today. This passage uh, reminds me and points me to uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts. Uh, In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are, these, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? We see it strikingly similar here in Acts 
to our story here in Babel, where God comes down and divides languages in Babel in order to show his glory and power and to fill the earth with his praise. Here at Pentecost, God, as seen through the Holy Spirit, comes down and unites languages in order to show his glory and power and to fill the whole earth with his praise. And this brings us to our final point this morning. It says, while sin brings division, the work of Christ and his gospel brings unity. While sin brings division among us, we see this today especially, this week especially, there is division among the people of earth, whether it's politically or racially, there is division, but the work of Christ and his gospel brings unity. The people were called to fill the earth, and they decide to stay, and God confused their language, creating this division among them. However, because of the work and the grace of Christ, he brings us together, even across different languages and nationalities. I've been honored here at Capshaw uh, to join with some of our annual mission trips to Honduras to visit, serve, and support some of our ministry partners there, uh, Point. If you have ever been with us or on an international mission trip like this, uh, you, you may know that while we have translators, there are times where they're not present or they're busy or something along the times. And, and the, these instances have the potential to be awkward. Sometimes they're a little awkward because we only know a couple words of each other's language. But whenever we gather for worship, whether it's in song or by teaching, there's something so surreal that happens. We may not understand a single word of what the other person is saying, but we know that we are all worshiping the same Lord alongside of us. We're all able to unite together and praise the same God in different languages and different tongues. And I say this to show that the unity of the gospel or the good news of Christ brings to his followers. Right now, we've been surrounded by bad news, right? Like our lives have been interrupted by this pandemic. Some of us lost jobs, income, loved ones. Some of us have had to have medical procedures, even giving birth alone, not even allowing a spouse in the room. Bad news seems to be an understatement right now, right? And well, one person noticed this and he decided that he wanted to share good news with the world. So a well-known actor named John Krasinski, uh, he, he decided that he's had enough of bad news. He decided to start a series of videos in which highlights good things happening around the world. And he calls this series, Some Good News. Uh, some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may have watched a few episodes and you may not have heard of it. That's okay. But as you can imagine, he just highlights good things happening out throughout the world. And because of this good news, it created a fast media following, right? Because people are drawn to good news. In fact, it was even recently acquired by CBS, a major broadcasting network, so that they could continue to provide good news to everyone and be dedicated to providing good news. But if you look at it, it's only a quick and fleeting fix for your desire for good news. The good news displayed in these videos are cute, funny, inspiring sometimes, but they don't last. You may scroll through Facebook, YouTube, or however you watch it, and then the next thing you see is just more bad news 
and it leaves you broken and discouraged once again. See, this video series seeks to help lift our spirits, but it's only temporary. Our hearts as people seek good news, but true good news is found in one place and one place only. Only in the work of Christ, the good news which we call the gospel, is their lasting good news and joy. See, we were rebellious sinners just like those at Babel. We deserve to be cast out from the kingdom of God, sent away from him to never be with him again. We deserve all this because we have sinned. Over the course of the next several weeks, we'll actually be looking at the Ten Commandments and shown in the light of what they really mean and what Christ says about them resonating in our hearts. We realize that every single one of us have broken all Ten Commandments. We have defiled the law, made a tower for ourselves, just like these people of Babel. However, God, being rich in mercy and grace, came down in the form of man, died the death that we deserve, took on the full wrath of God and the separation of him and the Father. Then he rose again on the third day, sealing that victory of his payment, and he chooses us and sets us apart for the Great Commission to fill the whole earth with this good news. This is the only good news that is truly good news. All other news, as Paul would might say, would be considered rubbish in comparison uh, to the news that we see with Christ. The salvation is offered to all who believe in Christ alone, bringing us back to the unity with each other and ultimately unity with Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, so that we can mean it, so that we can sing and mean it when we do, that in Christ alone our hope is found. He is our strength and our all in all, leaving room for nothing else to be our treasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of your Son, Lord, we thank you for, despite our best efforts to try to reach you on our own, that you sent your son to do the work for us, Lord. Lord, we thank you uh, for, for your grace providing us to still be able to worship you despite this pandemic, Lord. And we pray that as we meet, begin to meet physically, Lord, that you will keep us safe. Lord, uh, that you will keep us safe from this pandemic. We pray uh, for your guidance on all of our elected leaders, Lord, all of our leaders around the country and around the world to properly lead and handle the situations that we see today, Lord. We thank you for your son so that we can sing that in Christ alone our hope is found. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.